I can think of three idols that I, are very common in the American church. One idol, I think, would be experience. Uh, people, instead of looking to the Word of God to be their norm and their guide, uh, tend to look to their own experience, their feelings, their intuitions, their impressions to be their guide. That's part of American individualism, and therefore um, emotion and impression and experience is very good. But when you make it more important than the Word of God, or if you even put it higher than the Word of God, it becomes an idol. Uh, second one, this might surprise people, is um, doctrine. I actually do think some people make an idol out of doctrine because there are sectors of the church that say, if you have your doctrine straight, and if you have your doctrine right, then you're pleasing to God, and then you are part of the, the solution, not the problem, and you're not like all these other parts of the church that are very heretical. And there's a pride and a smugness uh, about having good doctrine that, to me, puts doctrine almost um, in the place of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and so it becomes an idol. Um, and I, I think probably, lastly, there is such a thing as a very a big problem we have is consumerism, and that is that uh, instead of people looking to the church as a place where they give themselves in community, they look at it as a place where they're going to get the services they want. They've got, uh, they have emotional needs, they have relational needs, they have vocational needs. You go to a church because it's a good place to network, uh, to find somebody to date, a good place to maybe network for vocational purposes. So I'm going there because it meets my needs and I'm seeing it almost like a mall rather than a family that I give myself to. And um, in that sense, I think consumerism is my felt needs become the idol. That is, they're more important than actually being part of a community. And so those are, I wouldn't say that those, by the way, idols exist equally across the whole church. I think certain sectors of the church struggle more than others with some of them. But those are all there and they, uh, and they hurt us quite a bit. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Um, this is like a common tact that youth pastors do, but we just sang um, a few songs today, and one of the songs, here's a line that I heard a lot of people singing, and the words go, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I'll follow you. Now, either don't fully grasp the implications of what we're saying, or we genuinely do and we're excited all in, or we're just saying these words because they sound pretty good in a melody. <laughs> but these words are pretty heavy. Where you go, I'll go, God. Where you move, I'll move. Where you stay, I'll stay. Whom you love, I'll love. I mean, we live in a time where we are angry at anybody for looking at us the wrong way. And then it says, if this life I lose, even if I will die and lose my life, if that is what it takes, I will follow you. Now, I wonder, the conflicts in church, church splits, the world would really look the same if we all Christians lived like this.
This is the statement and the anthem of Christ followers who follow the cross. And the church said, Amen. This is it. And this is such a perfect song that captures Mark 8.34, that whoever wants to follow me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. So, where do we get off? And I think I want to hit one of the reasons why we're a little um, off in our alignment with the cross, life of the cross, and life of self-preservation instead. And it starts with this idea of good intentions. So can you start, turn to the person next to you and just say, you've got good intentions. Just say, you've got good intentions. But it can't be wrong. Oh, not yet, not yet. So, so, so this is from an online posting of all these confessions. Online's great. People confess because it's anonymous. And so one of them was cute, funny, and horrible all at the same time for me as a car lover. This is an online post of a good intention gone wrong. And the girl says, when I was about five... My dad got a brand new BMW. I was over the moon. In fact, I was so proud of my dad and his new ride that I wanted everyone to know it was this car. So I took a stone and wrote Dad's car on the hood. He was not happy. <laughs> uh, that's cute and it's such a great illustration. We have good intentions, but it can be horribly wrong because while we mean well, it can fit in an unexpected way. And so I think this is the quote the, from St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And he says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And what, what he meant, he's the Pope, uh, one of the early popes of the church, and he, what he means is good intentions, however sincere, can and will have unintended consequences. So just because you meant well, it doesn't mean it's okay. So key reasoning, I was thinking about this, why do we lack matching good intentions with good results? And it's a simple fact. One, we're not God. <laughs> Two, we're not omniscient. But to put it more specifically, our good intentions are not matched with our understanding of the world and the true information on a macro level. We don't know the full picture. Remember the TV show Three's Company in the 1970s and 80s? I mean, the comedy of that was because it was a constant jumping to conclusions and they don't know the fact, good intentions going wrong. And another way to put it in a Christian setting is God's plans sometimes are not our plans. And so even if we have a plan with good intention, since we don't know the full picture, we can be wrong. So people fight with good intentions, but they could actually be fighting against God. So when it comes to living, we have a default setting in all of us because just raise your hand if you have never sinned or you are sinless in your whole life. Scott's watching. Scott's. <laughs> so that's a rhetorical question, duh. And so when we, even as redeemed, justified, sanctified human beings saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, we have a 
wired program in us, default setting is self-centered. It is self-preservation. It is about me, not about God. We are not aligned to God by default setting. Like no one gets up and says, I am so excited to align every part of my life to God's will. That's got to be the prayer of Christians every day, but we don't intuitively enter into that. And so our default setting is to go pick our own theology, pick our own parts of the Bible, pick our own parts of the church. And so we have all these selected things, and with good intentions, we don't see God's will. So I don't know anybody in this whole Bible who is a model of this than one of my favorite disciples, and maybe yours, Apostle Peter. Peter was one of the writers of the Bible, the core core members of the Jesus disciples. And Peter is the epitome of, I meant well. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it that way. So in Matthew 26, you know, Peter, just give you two examples of many. 35, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's Peter, right? Jesus says, hey, I'm going to die. And Peter says, even if it means death, I will never, never deny you. Don't make promises you can't keep, Peter. And all the disciples said the same. So to his credit, he wasn't the only one. They all said, me too, me too, me too. And so good intentions. How did it result? Bad result. John 18, 10, 11. Then Simon Peter having a sword. This is when Jesus is being arrested. Peter, good intentions. He drew a sword and struck the high priest's ear and cut it off. The servant's name was Malchus, which means it really happened. They would not be this specific. So Jesus said to Peter, good job. Thanks for watching my back. Man, where would I be without you? Now what did Jesus say to Peter? He says, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter, you mean well, good intention, but bad result. You have no clue what you're doing. You mean well. And so I just want us to pause at this point and say, my goodness, every single one of us in this room has a potential to mean well, but we could make the problem way worse. True? And so this is the humanity. So in Mark 8, 27, 38, Peter gets it so right. Jesus says, who do people say I am? Just like, you know, the story. And can just, they're walking through uh, Caesarea Philippi where there's idols and gods and temples and statues and, and posts and people are worshiping all these other gods. And Jesus is going, wow, there's a lot of gods here. And then he's like, who do people say about me? This is a beautiful context. He's contrasting all these gods, and he wants to know, what's the world saying about me? I think today we call that Facebook. What do people think about me? Let me put up a picture of my lunch yesterday. Wow, fantastic lunch, Jason. You are swell. So anyway, we all want to know, but Jesus' intention was, what is the word on the street about who I am? And Peter gets it right. He says, you are, they say you're a prophet, Moses, you're Elijah, And then Jesus says, what about you? It's a great question. Eventually, Jesus is going to ask each of us, I don't care what your mom and dad believed. I don't care that your grandpa was a pastor. 
What do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Matthew's version, Jesus loves it. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Well done, Peter. And so God was working in Peter to give him that revelation. So Peter's doing well. And so the Peter principle, the title of this is that, man, we could have a good day and a bad day with God. Because immediately after this declaration, Jesus says, verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, and he said this plainly. I love that last part. Mark is writing, he didn't make it mysterious. He put it blunt. I am the Christ, and here's the game plan. You ready? I came to be rejected by religious leaders that you guys followed, and I will be killed, but I will rise again. It's a fascinating shock, because for Peter and the disciples, they've been waiting for a Messiah, and the guy has finally come. The one who's going to bring Israel back to kingdom, and Jesus is saying this plainly, and Jesus, Son of Man, says it so specifically. Peter, being Peter, says this, verse 32. I love Peter. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, here's a problem. The word rebuke in that verse is the same word that's used when Jesus goes see a demon-possessed man and he rebukes the demons. It's that same word. Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and it left the man. Peter is being harsh to Jesus and saying, what is wrong with you? You are not going to die. You will never be hurt. I am Peter. I am going to defend you. Good intentions. Bad results. Because he doesn't know the full picture of God. I think a lot of problems in our lives is because we think we hold infinite full truth. And so just a quick, this, this one's a bonus part of this message. Whenever you have conflict with people, this is so true with marriages, relationship with kids, co- colleagues. The first thing you need to do is shut your mouth and listen. Help me to understand. I love that phrase. Help me to understand what you're trying to say. Tell me to understand why you're angry. I need to listen. And you'll be amazed at how clear things get. So with Peter, he never said, hold on. Jesus, I I need to take a step back and process this. Peter, that wasn't his nature. He just jumped right in. And Peter rebukes Jesus in front of all the disciples. Now Jesus turns and he sees the disciples all freaking out. And verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. When you have good intentions, but they go against the plan of God, you are not Satan. Obviously, Peter is not Satan. But you know what another word for Satan in the Bible, the Hebrew word for Satan is? It's literally translated adversary. Can you say adversary? 
Adversary is anybody who goes against the plan of God. So you may not need to be Satan to go against God's plan, but you can be an adversary. And what Jesus is saying here is, you are prohibiting me from fulfilling the plan that I came here. You know, this was not the first time Jesus uh, got attacked by Satan. When he started his ministry for 40 days, what did he do? He fasted, and who came to him during those 40 days? Did you recall the temptations that Satan did to Jesus? Oh, you're hungry? Turn this stone into bread so you could eat. Oh, why don't you jump off the highest temple and it says in Scripture, angels will catch you. Oh, bow down to me and I will give you everything that your eyes see. If you catch it, those three temptations all are derailing Jesus from what? The mission that God sent him on. It's the same thing that Peter fell into unknowingly. So good intentions, no matter how well-meaning, you actually may be working against God. Peter was not Satan, but he was being an adversary to God. So second thing we see here is Jesus says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The killer, Tim Keller video what did he say the first idol that we see, he sees in the Western American church today? Did you recall? The first idol he sees prevalent in churches. More than the word of God, what do we use as our determining guide? He said we use our feelings, experiences, intuition. Now, I've been around the block long enough in churches where I find that to be glaringly true. This is how I feel. This is what I want. This is what we should do because it worked in 1955, so it'll work in 2018. And that's fine. They're not bad, but what he's saying is get back to the word of God instead of using your experiences to determine your future. I hear this a lot. Well, when I was your age, this worked for me, so you got to do it too. That's where the last thing I find out millennials want to hear from us. They're like, dude, you're the same people that said you work 10 miles in like lightning storm and hail to go to school every day. Like we have a different context. You didn't, you know, have an iPhone. And so we judge each other's generation and we presume knowledge. In church, what, Jesus, what Tim Keller was saying here is like we have to get back to the word of God. We have to operate the church in the way that Jesus intended. We have to be the church that the scriptures describe us to be. Amen? Not the traditions or the experiences that bring us warmth. They're not bad, but they could become idols. And so, why am I saying all this? Because what Jesus is saying here is that, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Man-made tradition. In your life, when you determine your values and worldview and truth based on experiences and your own opinions, you are setting yourself up for being an adversary to God. Good intentions, bad results. So what this is not saying, by the way, is don't use intelligence or science. We love that. He's saying don't rely on that as your sole basis for your future. I think Peter was genuinely defending Jesus. He failed to see, though, the full picture that God had. 
Because for 33 years or some, that's what they say Jesus lived, he had one mission in life. It wasn't to teach incredible teachings. Jesus didn't come to set a model for a good way of living, although that is true. He didn't come to save all these blind people and lepers and cripples, although he did a few. Ultimately, he came for one reason. It was to go to that cross and to die as a living sacrifice, as a lamb to take on the sins of the world. The plan, the mission, always from the beginning was the cross. And Peter, unknowingly, was blocking Jesus. He literally said, get behind me, Satan. You're in my way. Pause. Friends, are you living a life where the journey that you're going towards is the cross? Where your journey and goal of life is to fulfill God's mission on earth for you? Not your mission that God can write along and bless, but Christian life is I have denied myself, I take up my cross, and I follow the all-American dream. Thank you for that chuckle, because I was hoping that. No, I deny myself, take up my cross, which means even to the point of death, and to follow Jesus. We don't need churchgoers. We need Jesus followers. And that's why the world sees Christianity as way off, and rightfully so. But if the church were filled with followers of Jesus who gave themselves up and surrendered and humbled themselves, the world would change. And this is why Jesus is teaching right after that. Mark 8, 34, in the message version, Eugene Peterson summarizes it this way. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. Can you say to your neighbor, you need to let Jesus lead. Just, 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 just do it. Just humor me. Say, you need to let Jesus lead. And he says, anyone who, who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. Jesus is saying, I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. I love that. Man, we complain way too much. Our first world problems our third world dreams. And so Jesus is saying, you're not in the church for comfort, security, and lack of suffering. You're actually, if you're the church, welcome suffering. And then he goes on, follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, the Jesus way, the cross way. It's the way to saving yourself, your true self. Not, I love how Eugene Peterson said, your true self is actually being lost by the image of yourself that you're trying to save. This is why dying to yourself is actually saving who you really are. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What good is it? You hit all your dreams but you really lose who you really are. What could you ever trade for your soul? This past week, I posted this. Michael Jordan is turning 55. How many of us wanted to be Michael Jordan when we were growing up? Come on! I cannot be the only one in here. Liars. Best basketball player of all time. He could dunk like no one else. He won how many championships? Six? Five or six? It was a lot. All the money in the world. 
And he's 55, and he's being interviewed, and he's saying, why do I feel so empty? Jesus knew you can gain the whole world and yet lose your soul. And the way to life is by losing it and following me, who is the life. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. So Jesus is packaging this, and I think as I kind of land this plane today, it's this. The way of the cross, a Peter principle is this. We can mean so well in church, pastors, but if you are not walking and grounded in God's word and listening to his voice, you could actually be walking on the wrong side of the track. And the way we get back to that is been in front of us literally the whole time. We carry that cross. We deny ourselves. This is not just a way to salvation, but Luke's version of this is saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. He has the word daily. So if you said in 1972, I gave my life to Christ, I'm pretty good. That doesn't mean you're in this sync with Jesus Christ. And we may be on the wrong track. But here's good news. Do you think Peter got it? He still was Peter being Peter after the resurrection. But something's changed in Peter. What did he do? What did he see? He saw his master crucified on the cross. Nailed. Six hours hanging with his body weight tearing at the ligaments. With blood dripping down from the spear and water after he was killed. The Roman soldier pinned him. Took his body down and he saw his master wrapped up and put into a tomb. Three days later, just like Jesus said, the Son of Man will be betrayed, will be suffered, killed, and third day rise again. He went to the tomb, and John ran to the tomb that was empty, and John waited outside. What did Peter do? Peter being Peter? Just walked right in there and saw the empty tomb. Forty days later, 50 days later, he would preach a sermon where 3,000 people will come be saved. What changed? God was not done with him. Peter saw the cross and the resurrection. And today, here's the application takeaway. Do you keep your eyes fixed on the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It is not a habit, a theology, a doctrine. It is just the reality of these two events. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And that transformed Peter. How do I know? Let me end with this. Acts chapter 3. This is what Peter writes. This is so cool. I think it's next verse, Acts. So he says this. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. This is Peter, the one who said, you know, Jesus, what are you saying? I'm going to protect you. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made him walk? They just healed a leper. And people were like, whoa, you're amazing. He's saying, you think we're big shots? No. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. Remember that time when Pilate gave you choice of two people? One was a criminal and one was Jesus? 
Yeah, you picked the wrong one. That's what Peter is saying. And then he says, I got some bad news and some good news. The bad news is you picked the murderer and you killed the author of life. But here's the good news. When you chose wrong, God intended it to be like that. God raised him from the dead and we saw it. Verse 16, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, right? Good intentions, you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Peter is saying, I get it now. I didn't see it, but when Jesus died and rose again, it clicked. This was what was meant to be, and we are to follow Jesus. So check this, that Christ would suffer and he would die. Peter, good intentions, bad results, but the Peter principle says, when we look at the cross and the resurrection, we start seeing the world as God intended for us to be. That we are not the leaders and commanders of our lives, but Jesus is inviting us to death, to follow him on the cross, and to fulfill the mission that he's given to us. And so this morning, let me end again with these words that we sang. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Do you mean it? Is this the anthem of your heart? Is this the code that we live by? It is for those who carry that cross and cling to the resurrection. May that be our hope and our pride and our faith. Let's pray together. God, to the Jews of the first century, the cross was horrid. It was where Romans unjustly murdered all people, criminals, and emblem of shame. And with good intentions, even though the disciples tried to keep Peter from, um, Jesus from the cross, God, it was incredible that that was your plan all along. God, we don't know the full picture of our lives. We don't know what tomorrow is supposed to look like. Humble us. Help us to rest in you. Help us to have an understanding that doesn't come from our knowledge, but assuming we don't know it all. Even in our best of intentions, God, may we follow your word and go step by step with you, Jesus. As you carry the cross for us, Help us to be people, a church, a family, a community that carries this cross, not out of morbid thoughts, but out of just faithfulness to say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And we will follow our Savior to the very end. May that be our prayer, Lord. And we pray the prayer that you taught us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen.